We just hope for the best. We pray for rain. Tonight on Global News Hour, the wildfire near Tumbler Ridge is still out of control. Residents fear a sudden shift in the wind could spell disaster for the town. And a railing collapse at Rogers Place during a UFC event sends one person to hospital. Plus. a new life in Canada away from the war in Ukraine, how music is saving the life of this young woman. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It's now been four days since everyone in the town of Tumbler Ridge was ordered out by an advancing wildfire in the Peace region. So far, fire crews with help from Mother Nature are managing to keep the West Kiskatinaw fire at bay, but that could change at any moment. Ramina Dea reports from behind the front lines of the fire in Tumbler Ridge and speaks to some of the few remaining residents who stayed behind. While it's blue skies in Tumbler Ridge, the fire threat remains very real. Firefighters training, hosing down houses. This community just one bad wind away from catastrophe. My gut tells me that it's too early to tell, in all honesty. I mean, um, it's a beautiful blue sky day here. The sun is shining in Tumbler Ridge. And, uh, you know, that we still have a forest fire that's about four kilometers from us. And we're really... You know, the, the wind is our variable and we just don't know what's going to happen. So seeing bald spot, it just means that the wind's going in the right direction. Just a few hours ago, the ridge line behind Marcel Brodeur's home was crystal clear. But then a daunting cloud of smoke, the fire raging on the other side. If you can't see bald spot and there's a lot of smoke, then you know it's, it's, it's worrisome, even though the fire is a long ways away. The conditions hot and dry, but the crucial measuring stick is the wind, which is blowing away from the town, giving frontline firefighters time to lay fire breaks and pound the forest with water. I just want to make sure the residents know the support we've had from all the mutual aids that the fire department used, um, our rangers from our municipality going door to door, make sure people knew about the evacuation order. Our heart is here, that's why we're here. We just hope for the best, we pray for rain and... Basically, when the time's to go, we will go. Canadian Rangers Darlene and her husband Len knocked on door after door, helping to get people out. The ribbons, confirmation, residents have evacuated. 2,400 people ordered to leave Thursday when the fire blew up. We lost our home before in the fire in Manitoba. So we, we know what it's like to, to lose a home. We know what it's like to jump back in the home and try to save stuff. You can't, eh? So it's, it's very emotional. Residents understandably anxious, wondering if or even when they're going to be able to return to their community. The evacuation order still stands. However, the district is allowing people back on temporary passes if they have a legitimate reason to be here. For example, taking care of animals or any other essential needs. Back to you. Thanks, Romina. Now to Vancouver Island, where there was some relief today for residents impacted by the Cameron Bluffs wildfire, which led to the indefinite closure of Highway 4. An escorted convoy of commercial vehicles began today along the detour route, bringing much-needed goods and fuel for Alberni Valley communities. Nagar Mushtahedi reports. 
supply convoys now rolling into Alberni Valley. We were able to find everything we needed and it's kind of reassuring because for a bit there was a bit of panic buying. A community cut off by the highway foreclosure. With the human-caused Cameron Bluffs wildfires still out of control, now burning at 254 hectares, but the growth is away from the highway and up the mountain. Sunday morning, the first supply convoy came into Port Alberni, restocking grocery store shelves. We've got produce, we've got dairy, and everything's coming in kind of normal now. So, yeah, it's been a lot better. It's nice certainly to see the fuel trucks coming through, just noticing that a number of the gas stations have been having their pumps closed off, but it's nice to see that supplies are getting through. Pumps at this gas station rationing regular gas at a $50 limit. And for some residents not risking the dodgy detour option, flying was the go-to mode of transportation. Well, I was away at Naramata for a conference and uh, wasn't going to risk taking the road back, so decided to book a flight and made it safely. Despite the good news coming in, Alberni Valley and West Coast towns encouraging tourists not to come for a visit in the meantime. Right now, we are certainly asking that new tourists who are not already in the area do not come to Port Alberni. The fire still a real threat with warmer conditions and the wind picking up on Sunday. Negar Moshehri, Global News. And in the Okanagan, the B.C. Wildfire Service is responding to a wildfire burning near Bear Creek Provincial Park. Smoke from the fire is very visible from Kelowna. First reports came in just after 1 o'clock this afternoon. B.C. Wildfire sent resources to the scene but says it's currently spot size. Many British Columbians are on edge waiting to see how the weather could impact these wildfires across the province. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here now with more on that. Yvonne? Julie, we're following two different weather stories for our forecast. Now, we've got a ridge of high pressure that's built. We had a nice reprieve that was Friday, Saturday, but it's building along the southern half of the province. There's a weather maker towards the north. What we're seeing, though, for the northeastern corners, change on the way for Tuesday. Even, a even some precipitation will be on the mix. And then looking further ahead along the southern half of the province, we'll start to see the potential for some showers even moving in along the south coast on Thursday. So there is a reprieve in the coming days, but a reminder now, the fire danger rating has changed. We're looking at high to extreme, especially extending into the northeastern corners. And also to note, the northern and central regions of the island also included within extreme. Wanted to show what we're seeing for the Smoky Skies Bulletin, including the southeastern corners of the province. And our three-day forecast, this is very important for the piece. We are going to see that widespread smoke tomorrow, but then that reprieve on the way with the chance for some showers and a high up to 15. Some instability and the risk of thunderstorms across the southern half. More coming up very shortly. Julie? All right. Thank you, Yvonne. One man is clinging to life in hospital while a suspect is in custody after a shooting on Vancouver's downtown east side. Police are still collecting evidence and looking for witnesses at the scene near East Hastings Street and Princess Avenue. Officers were called to the area around 7.15 last night and discovered the victim, a man in his 30s, outside a building. The man was treated at the scene before being taken to hospital by ambulance. The VPD says it's unclear if he will survive. We received multiple 911 calls about an incident that was taking place in a residential building near East Hastings Street and uh, Princess Avenue in the downtown east side. Uh, when our officers arrived on scene, they found a man who was suffering from uh, a gunshot wound. 
One person was arrested. Police are trying to determine if more suspects are at large. Anyone with information is asked to contact the VPD major crime section. Questions tonight about what led to a freak accident during last night's wildly popular UFC event at one of the biggest entertainment venues in downtown Vancouver. Travis Prasad has the details on a railing collapse. Travis, and what can you tell us about what happened? Yeah, Julie, at any UFC event, there's always a chance the fighters will get injured. But last night at Rogers Arena, someone in the crowd got hurt after a railing collapsed. The moment it happened, caught on video. Video posted online shows a number of fans leaning over to greet Canadian UFC fighter Mike Malott. The railing gives way and they fall to the surface below. Rogers Arena posted a statement saying there were no serious injuries. The Provincial Health Services Authority confirms one woman was taken to hospital after falling on her arm. The extent of her injuries are not known. UFC President Dana White was seen checking out the scene of the collapse. A rope was put in place of the railing. After the event, Malott was asked if he noticed what had happened. I noticed it for like a quarter of a second. It fell, I kind of like jumped to the side, stepped over the gate. I was like, one, that sucks for them. Two, don't think about it, stay focused. And like immediately forgot about it afterwards. I didn't remember it happened until one of our cornermen brought up the video because one of my cornermen, the gate fell on him. Like hit him okay? in the hip. Yeah, he's all right, he's all right. But I was like, I didn't realize, like, I don't know, it just it kind of had bigger fish to fry. I had biggest fight of my life in front of me. I was focused on that. Rogers Arena says fans seated in that area were relocated and the event continued on. We have reached out to the city of Vancouver to see if they're investigating. Julie. All right, thank you, Travis. A Chinese Buddhist temple on Vancouver's downtown east side is damaged after flames tore through the century-old building this morning. It happened around 7.30 a.m. in the 100 block of East Hastings Street, just west of Maine. Crews discovered a fire outside of the early 1900s building and the flames managed to travel inside. Firefighters say it took some time to gain entry to the older structure where they chased the fire through several small spaces. No one was injured and the temple not occupied when the fire broke out. These early buildings are, uh, they've been added on so many times that you don't know uh, what spaces are there. And uh, so they, they can, fires can go into these spaces and then go into other areas of the building quite quickly, especially with balloon construction. These old buildings still have that. So, uh, so crews did an excellent job in chasing this and uh, extinguishing it. It's unclear how exactly the fire was sparked on the outside of the building. Seven people have been left homeless tonight after a fire tore through a Richmond home. Flames erupted around noon hour today at a house on Wilson Avenue near Garrett Street. Crews say the fire was contained to the rear exterior of the home, extending into the attic. There has been extensive damage to the home, but no one was injured. The cause of the blaze is not clear at this time and is under investigation. Coming up on Global News Hour, back before City Council, the embattled Kiefer Street development in Chinatown is back for debate while dividing the neighborhood. More on that. And the very real perils of driving through mountains when we come back. 
future of an empty lot in Chinatown may be decided Monday when the City of Vancouver's Development Permit Board resumes its hearing on a controversial condo tower. BD's 105 Kiefer Street proposal was rejected in 2017 before a B.C. Supreme Court decision ordered the city to reconsider the project. Kristen Robinson reports. With a dumpling shop in the front and a hidden bar in the back, Lewis Hart's business is a nod to the past. That was a piece of history that I really wanted to put back into Chinatown. The future, Hart says, requires more feet on the streets, and he supports the nine-story, 111-unit building Beattie is proposing at 105 Kiefer, with ground-level retail and a senior centre. It's extremely crucial. All of the uh, core neighbourhood groups and leaders have all understood that we really need to revitalize uh, Chinatown and have new development and have new businesses come in to envision a really good future for Chinatown. The project was voted down for a fifth time in 2017, but a BC Supreme Court decision ordered the city to reconsider it. Justice Brongers ruled rejecting Beatty's application without indicating what conditions would have been needed for approval was a departure from past practice. Quote, in the absence of such an explanation, I find that the board's decision was unreasonable. I think it would add some life, and we need life. Amit Johal wants to see more people living in Chinatown and shopping locally. Just to regenerate the neighborhood and give these businesses a fair shot of having people want to come to Chinatown. While divided over the original proposal for a 12-story building, seven Chinatown legacy organizations representing tens of thousands of members now support 105 Kiefer. They describe the site at the corner of Kiefer and Columbia Streets, which has been vacant for decades, as an eyesore in the heart of Chinatown. But others don't want to see Beattie develop this parking lot. My biggest concern is uh, property values going up and property taxes going up. William Liu says that's happened since condos went up in 2014. The Kamwai Dim Sum owner says new buildings have not increased foot traffic especially to legacy businesses, which are closing. I don't want it. I don't want to see an empty lot either, but something needs to be done in that space that does not include a luxury condo unit that is going to raise property values at an alarming rate and uh, force people to leave Chinatown. There are also questions about whether the 105 Kiefer design is a good fit for Chinatown. But within the Development Permit Board, I think, is whether the, this particular proposal is compliant with the existing design guidelines uh, with the, in, in the neighborhood that, were, that have been around for all, probably over 30, 40 years now. Beattie says it's committed to working with neighbors and community partners. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A fundraiser for an iconic Vancouver cafe, which sustained extensive damage in a fire last month, has raised 75% of its goal. The GoFundMe by a former employee to help the owners of the Ovaltine Cafe has raised more than $15,000 of a $20,000 target. A fire was set at the back of the downtown Eastside Cafe on May 28th, causing smoke damage. The owners have insurance, but will be closed for up to three months. The fundraising will help expedite repairs and cover the cost of utilities while the doors are closed. The cafe first opened in 1942 and has attracted TV and film productions for its vintage look. 
A driver on the Sea to Sky Highway couldn't believe his eyes as a rock slide came barreling down in front of him. It happened yesterday just before 3.30 p.m. Alex Cho was driving north between Horseshoe Bay and Lions Bay when the slide happened. His dash cam video shows a car narrowly avoids crashing into the rocks. Cho says the debris blocked one of the two lanes and he says he saw crews cleaning it up about an hour later. Coming up on the news hour, music for the soul. The story of a Ukrainian woman who fled her country and how she found a home in Vancouver's Ukrainian Folk Orchestra when we come back. And later, sitting down with Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim about some of the city's most pressing issues ahead of the FIFA World Cup in 2026. Stay with us. Local Ukrainians and their supporters joining thousands across the province in holding a rally today in the wake of devastating flooding in Ukraine. Members of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress and the nonprofit Maple Hope Foundation hosting the Vancouver rally at Jackpool Plaza this afternoon. They're joining to voice their outrage after the catastrophic flooding caused by the destruction of a dam, which the Ukrainian and Russian governments have accused each other of deliberately blowing up. Both sides have also accused the other of shelling civilians and rescue efforts of flood victims are carried out. We are here to show uh, Canadians uh, the tragedy of the lost uh, young lives in Ukraine, especially students whose life was interrupted by the brutal Russian aggression in February of 2024. Similar rallies were also held in Kelowna and Victoria today. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians have escaped the conflict in their homeland and are trying to make a new home here in Canada. Among those is a young woman who arrived in B.C. last year. As Grace Key reports, her new life is thanks to the cello she brought along with her. It's called Volodymyr's Plea, and when Alina Harismenko plays it, she thinks about her family in Ukraine and her long journey alone to Canada. First of all, it's reminded me about war in Ukraine, and it's reminded me about my way, because it's difficult when it's all started, and I think for me it's more about the first day of war, because it was more stressful for me when everyone woke up because of bombing. In 2014, armed conflict forced Alina and her family to flee the Donetsk region to western Ukraine. Last year, bombings right outside her apartment window forced the 22-year-old to leave again without her family. But she wasn't totally alone. It's not for just like instrument. For me, it's more like person, like individual. And during my way, when people know that I go by myself, they're like, wow, how can you do that? But for me, it didn't feel like I by myself. I feel like I was shallow. <laughs> Suzanne de Montigny composed the piece. The Vancouver Ukrainian Folk Orchestra agreed to play it, but Suzanne told the conductor they needed a cellist. Then he tells me, oh, I, I found that a cello player. I don't know if she's going to come or not, but, but she's actually a refugee from Ukraine. And, and, and great, let's bring her in. <laughs> and uh, so she came in and she was so cute and so nervous the first time. 
And uh, anyways, but she's done a really, really good job and we're so pre pleased and proud of her. And the way to remind people is that Var is still here because I'm here because of Var and while Var is still going. On Saturday, they performed the piece as part of the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra's Day of Music. Alina has found a new home with the Ukrainian Folk Orchestra. She was a web designer, an IT and cultural manager, and hopes to find similar work here as she rebuilds her life. Grace Key, Global News. Still to come on Global News Hour, all things Italian. We'll head to Italian Day on the drive, celebrating the culture, food, and heritage of that country when we come back. You're watching Global BC. Yvonne is back, and uh, what have we got cooking for the <laughs> week ahead? Yeah, people looking, right? It seems like what a difference a day makes. It was a touch cooler this morning, and then we warmed up through the afternoon. We've got plenty of sunshine on deck for back to work and school. We're currently sitting at 20 degrees out of the airport with the westerly wind up to 19 kilometers per hour. A few other spots across the province today. We're into the low 30s, though, for a few spots in towards the interior. Prince George topping out at 25 in areas closer to the water with Prince Rupert with your current temperature at 15. Lytton was the hot spot across the province today, getting up to 32.4. Plan for the day tomorrow. We are going to see that heat. Make sure you grab the sunscreen, stay hydrated. 22 away from the water will be up to 25 degrees. Wanted to show the temperature trend and what we're anticipating. So some of the hottest temperatures tomorrow away from the water. A bit of a reprieve in the coming days. It'll be closer to the average and still seeing one more hot day for the interior into the low 30s and then also seeing a bit of a break on the way. Showing this again, the fire danger rating, all important, high to extreme, extending in towards the northeastern corners and also to note across the island, the northern and central regions, so please be very diligent. We are seeing many spots in towards the interior at moderate to high, but the concern for tomorrow, extending into the southeastern corners of the province, will be some instability and the risk of thunderstorms. Here's that wave of moisture that is going to move in, a weather maker along the northern half of the province. It'll be on Tuesday, a slight reprieve on the way. Showers for most areas, not a significant amount of rain, but we are going to see those temperatures cooling off across the region. And then by Thursday, we're seeing a weather maker along the south coast. Coastal areas tomorrow, so scattered showers inland with terrace getting up to 23. We've got that widespread smoke for the northeastern corners, the Peace, and extending in towards the southeastern corners for the Colombian Kootenai. The instability for the southeastern corners will be looking at that risk of thunderstorms. Most areas towards the Thompson Okanagan, still a hot one. Kamloops up to 33 degrees. Whistler topping out at 28 inland across the island. Port Alberni up to 32 degrees. Fraser Valley will see those temperatures even a touch warmer when you factor in the humidex up to 27. Pleasant for Tuesday, Wednesday mix of sun and cloud and then on Thursday, Friday potentially still a few days out leading in towards next weekend. We'll see temperatures cooler with some scattered showers. Julie. Thank you so much Yvonne. One of Vancouver's most popular streets is full of red, white and green today and a lot of Italian pride. This is the first Italian day since the pandemic. The event boasting everything Italy along 14 blocks of Commercial Drive. The long-standing event brings Vancouver's Little Italy to life with more than a hundred street participants, including vendors and community organizers. 
Well, Barry is here with mm -hmm. sports and wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, you've got uh, something fantastic. It's what fantastic. we live for, yeah. It was yeah. red, white, History. and green on the drive. Just red and white at the yeah. Canadian <laughs> Open today. Yeah. And it was amazing. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor has broken the long streak with his uh, victory today. But the way he did it, I mean, the, the drama and the way to finish like he did is something you dream about. It, it, you know, a Hollywood writer would say that's, that's silly. It would never happen that way. But he made a 72-foot putt per eagle. And interestingly enough, Global BC made a little bit of a cameo. Take a look at this. This is some footage <laughs> from the gallery as he's about to make his footage. And look at that. Make his putt. And there's a Global BC umbrella. Nice. In Toronto. Yay. And this is when it went in. And look at the crowd, how Whoa. they reacted. There was, uh, they figure, about 20,000 fans around the 18th green. Amazing. It was, uh, they were singing O Canada all day for uh, Nick and all the Canadians. It was just a... Uh, Celebration, really, and uh, Nick very emotional for the win. They, all the other Canadian players were out there. Adam Hadwin, uh, we got some great footage of him as he tried to help Nick celebrate. Something kind of funny happened to him as well. So we have all sorts of coverage on that coming up, and also a great story on a young track and field athlete named Divine Aniyamaka from Surrey. A uh, great athlete and a great young man, so you'll enjoy that coming up as well. Awesome. Thanks okay. so much, Barry. Well, straight ahead on Global News Hour, are we ready for the FIFA World Cup in three years? We chat with Mayor Ken Sim about what Vancouver needs to do about issues like safety or homelessness when it's back on the world stage. Stay with us. The countdown is on to the FIFA 2026 World Cup. Three years from now, Vancouver will be one of two Canadian cities to host the world's premier international football competition. We talked with Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim to see how the city is dealing with issues like homelessness before all eyes are on Vancouver. Here we are three years away from FIFA. How do we get Vancouver ready for the world stage? Well, we have conversations about FIFA all the time and everything we can do to make uh, FIFA successful, we will. So we work with different levels of government, with sport hosting um, uh, at the city of Vancouver, but we also talk to the community. And so what would be it, you know, how many hotel rooms do we need? Um, restaurants, how do we get restaurants up to speed? How do we make our neighborhoods safer and more vibrant? Be it the Granville Entertainment District or revitalizing Chinatown um, as, a, as an example, or Gastown. These are all the things that will sort of lead towards having a very successful uh, FIFA 2026. Last week, I was doing the Granville District story and, and the city wanting to, to do more to make that a safer area, along with revitalizing it, you know, for businesses and entertainment. So, you know, that's just one piece of this, this puzzle. Uh, what, what else can we be doing to, to promote safety and to, to create that environment here? It, it's multifaceted. So there isn't one little thing. It's a, it's a collection of a lot of uh, different things. So uh, when we uh, were elected in office, one of the things that we talked about was uh, public safety. And so hiring 100 additional police officers and 100 mental health workers uh, together uh, to triage, uh, you know, a very trying situation right now, but that, that's only the start. We have to get to the root cause of you know why people are in the challenging situations they are and so that goes to mental health addictions people experiencing homelessness and so dealing with those root uh, cause challenges as well in addition to that just getting more people on the street and so what does that mean um 
well, you have to give them a reason to want to come into these neighborhoods. And so they have to be safer, but they have to be vibrant as well. So, you know, successful, you know, uh, art installations and music and vibrant patios and restaurants and community events. So that, you know, you, you can't do one or the other. You have to do, it's a combination of a bunch of different things. How do we bring the fun back to the city when we've developed that no fun moniker? Well, I, I do want to stress how big FIFA is going to be because I, I think people, you know, the conversations I still hear on the street are, well, oh, FIFA, that's going to be nice. No, it's going to be massive. And so imagine Super Bowl. There's about 115 million viewers. People understand, people in North America understand Super Bowl. A preliminary game in World Cup has a viewership of about 350 million people. There's 211 countries around the planet that are following every single game. This is a Super Bowl on steroids, and we're probably going to host at least five, if not more, of these events. The whole world is going to be looking at Vancouver, and the build-up to the event is going to be amazing, and then the spin-offs after are going to be significant. I know you got to go to Dubai right around the time you were elected, um, and what did you learn from your, your trip to uh, see that event? I got to experience firsthand what it's like to be in a city that's hosting the World Cup. And it's unlike anything I had ever experienced before. Like I, I'd lived in London, England when World Cup was happening in France and it was lights out. This was at a whole different level. And I, I had some preconceived notions of what World Cup could mean to the city of Vancouver. And I was completely wrong. It's way bigger than what I thought. I thought it was just an opportunity where local businesses could have a pretty good run during uh, leading up to World Cup. This could be our launching uh, you know, pad for the vision, launching the vision of what Vancouver is going to look like over the next 30 years. And we can lever World Cup um, to amplify that message across the planet. What else are you thinking about to help the city grow into the future? Well, I sort of look at it, a answer the question a little differently. Um, this is an opportunity for everyone in the uh, city to step up and contribute to the fabric and the future of our city. We've been very clear that we want to engage the entire community and we're going to crowdsource our solutions. So when you look at what's going on in Chinatown or Gastown, um, as an example, or the Granville Entertainment District, or what's going on with speeding up permitting, we're actually bringing people from around the community to help us with that. The Mayor's Budget uh, Task Force. Those are individuals in the community. So I'd love it. As much as I love the city and this is my city, this isn't my city, this is our city. And so if the residents, you know, for the first time in a long time, they actually have a say in, you know, reshaping the future. So come on down and help us with it. Thank you so much, Mayor Sim, for your time with us today. Thank you uh, for having me. And by the way, you can just call me Ken. It was so great to talk with him. Well, coming up in sports, he takes it all. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor's incredible win and performance at the Canadian Open and becomes the first Canadian to do so since 1954. Stay with us. Come face to face with one of the world's most famous predators. At the Royal BC Museum, experience the life of Sue, the most complete and best-preserved Tyrannosaurus Rex ever found. Don't miss out on learning how Sue survived their challenging and dangerous world. Don't miss the multi-platinum Grammy Award-winning artist and songwriter Sam Smith as they bring their glory of the tour to Rogers Arena on August 22nd. Be there and enjoy an amazing performance and also see special guest Jesse Reyes. 
For our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event, build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. Well, Barry is back. Gee, I wonder what you're going to start with. <laughs> well, when someone does something amazing, it's uh, always more neat if you know the guy personally. I've, I've interviewed Nick a few times uh, when he comes back to Abbotsford. He's just one of those genuine Aww. guys, you know, so it couldn't happen to a better guy. And he's pretty popular right now oh, I bet. <laughs> across this country. A lot of Nick Taylor we're going to be saying uh, over the next while. Thanks, Julie. Uh, you know, every year at the Canadian Open, all of the Canadian players are reminded, you know, it's been nearly 70 years since the Canadian hoisted the trophy, but now they don't have to worry about that because Abbotsford's Nick Taylor broke the streak today with one of the most dramatic finishes ever in Canadian sports, never mind golf. The setting, the atmosphere made this just a special day for all Canadian golf and sports fans. Eight Canadians made the cut at this tournament, most since 2004, so the odds were good something good would happen. Roger Sloan of Merritt, who's uh, not a regular on the PGA Tour anymore, but uh, is on the Corn Ferry Tour now, but uh, had a good week. Shot to four feet on the hockey hole, finished tied 34th. Corey Connors, boy, it looked like he would be in contention after his first round, but he had a tough weekend and a nightmare day. Four bogeys in his first five holes and he was tied 20th. Adam Hadwin did finish tied 12th at minus 11, but it was all about Nick Taylor. Showed early, he was in it to win it. Fourth hole, 28-footer, gets to 13-under and just one off the lead, and then at the sixth, a chance to take the lead outright, and he does, putting beautifully and showing no signs of nerves. Four-under on the front, which is the toughest of the two nines. Tenth hole, how about another birdie? When you're rolling it like this, that's when you win. Gets to 16 under. It's a two-shot lead. He bogeyed the 11th, but got it right back at the 12th. And this is one of his best shots of the day from the rough with a five-wood. Lashes it out of there and gets some kind of a roll onto the green from 257 yards. It settles 12 feet away. Just missed the eagle putt, but another birdie for Nick Taylor and he was feeling it. He did bogey 16, fell out of the lead. It didn't look good for him, but how about this kind of resilience at 17? It's a birdie to get back into a tie for the lead. The crowd is roaring and uh, Nick pumped up. Then walking up the 18th and just a huge ovation. Great national pride and support for Taylor and he sends them into a frenzy when he does this, curls it in for another birdie to take the lead at 17 under. Just an explosion of noise for Taylor and everyone heard it around the golf course. But, and Taylor got to congrats from Mike Weir, Corey Connors, Adam Hadwin, all the Canadians there for support. But will that lead hold up? Because there were players who could catch them, including Englishman Tommy Fleetwood back at 17. His approach, this is nice. Spins it to within three feet, made the birdie, and he tied for the lead. We would need a playoff in this one. Can the drama get any more intense? So it's Fleetwood and Taylor, and they're going to start on the 18th hole. Fleetwood with the chance to put the pressure on, and he does. I'm not sure anyone expected he'd make this one, but rolls in the downhill putt for the birdie, so now Taylor has to match it to stay alive. And how about that? Ice in his veins, knocks it down. They would actually go to a fourth playoff hole, Taylor's buddy from Abbotsford, Adam Hadwin, feeling a little nervous. And then you won't believe what Nick Taylor did with 72 feet for Eagle and the win.
Canadian $2 coin. Good pace. Are you serious? Oh, my goodness! Glorious and free! If that doesn't give you chills, what does? One of the greatest moments really in Canadian golf history right there. Nick Taylor breaks the 70-year curse. He is the Canadian Open champion, and he did it in style. Uh, I'm speechless. This is, for, this is for all the guys that are here. Um, this is for my family at home. <laughs> my wife, Andy, and our son, Charlie, and Harper. It's, uh, I'm very speechless. This is, this is the most incredible feeling ever. Well, that was awesome. How about this? Adam Hadwin, his good friend, tackled by security after trying to douse champagne over a Taylor. A couple of views. I guess Adam shouldn't have taken off his credential. He may have to go to the medical tent after that one. Eventually, he did get to celebrate with his good buddy. All sorts of mayhem at the Canadian Open, and you can bet the celebrations will go on all night. It's uh, all over Twitter. Even uh, Justin Thomas had a good laugh about that one. The U.S. Open, by the way, in L.A. this week starts Thursday, so maybe Taylor can make it two in a row. Wouldn't that be something? Well, the Whitecaps have to be exhausted after playing 11 matches in a 36-day span. They don't play again until a week from Wednesday. So with that being said, playing on fumes last night against uh, top MLS side Cincinnati, the Whitecaps happily took a one-all draw thanks to a late penalty from Ryan Gold. Gressel looking for Cordova. And there's a For one of the last handful of teams to even get a penalty awarded just a couple of matches ago. Gall took that, scored that. He'll get another chance here to equalize. Gall versus Celentano. Yes! Checked in for Vancouver. We had a lot of chances. We, we, were, we were the best team on the pitch, to be honest from minute 15 to minute 90. Being in a very unfair position of being down at five minutes to go, we push, 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 and at the end, we, we were pushing, trying to win in the game. But today, I think the result, the, the, the tie was a fair result. French Open men's final from Paris. Novak Djokovic taking on Norwegian Kasper Ruud. Djokovic, 22 Grand Slam titles. Ruud, zero. Ruud hung in tough in the first set. It went to a tie break, but as usual, Djokovic puts the hammer down at crunch time, took the tiebreak 7-1, won the second set, and then in the third, crushes the forehand winner. And then we go to match point, and Rude will end up hitting this one wide, and Novak Djokovic wins his third French title, 7-6-6-3-7-5. It's his record 23rd Grand Slam, one more than Nadal, two more than Federer as uh, Novak Djokovic wins yet another Grand Slam title. In the women's doubles final earlier, Montreal's Leila Fernandez and her American partner Taylor Townsend took on uh, Su Wei Shea of Taiwan and Wang Jin Yu of China. Fernandez will smack the return winner, and she and Townsend looked great early, won the first set 6-1 in 27 minutes, but lost a tight tiebreak in set two, and then Shea and Wang took over from there. This is match point. Shea, a savvy doubles player, puts it away. And it's her second career Grand Slam. Still a great performance by Layla, who is uh, becoming very good at doubles.
baseball today. Blue Jays and Twins. Toronto had lost the first two games of the series. We're down 6-1 at one point, but Matt Chapman hit a two-run homer, and then Kevin Biggio crushes a three-run shot in the bottom of the eighth, and the Blue Jays win 7-6. They're now 37-30 and on the season. The BC High School Track and Field Championships concluded this weekend in Langley, and a young man from Surrey's Pacific Academy put on a stellar performance. Divine Aniyamaka won Most Inspirational Athlete, and when you hear his story, you'll know why. His name is Divine, and his God-given talents make him someone to watch on the Canadian track and field scene. Divine Aniyamaka could have been a star in soccer or a number of track events, but he's chosen to focus on the triple jump, just like his older brother, Praise, who just happens to be the Big Ten champion at Purdue University in Indiana and who finished ninth at the NCAA championships this past weekend. It's a lot of competition between us, you know. I think, honestly, like, I don't say it a lot, but I miss him when he's down in the States, so it's like... Me knowing that and me doing better here will give me actually more opportunities to see him later. It's like the motivation. You, always, you, know, you always want to beat your older brother. Divine is also going to American College. He'll be attending the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, but he's got a busy summer before he heads south. This weekend at the BC High School Championships, on his final jump, Divine did this. Hold up. Yeah. Yeah. It was a personal best jump of 15.42 meters that not only won him the gold medal, but it may just get him on Team Canada for the Pan American U20 Championships this August in Puerto Rico. I'm a lot higher in the qualifying list, so in two weeks we'll see. If other people improve, you never know, but with that jump, it just put me in a better place, which makes me feel a lot better about myself. Devine's had the same coach, Juliana Kroger, since he was in grade five, so she has seen him blossom into a potential world-class triple jumper. He does what's needed, he's dedicated and puts in the work, but his most impressive quality has nothing to do with athletics. He's not cocky, he's, not, he's very positive, he's a good, good friend to everybody in the team and uh, school and uh, club level. He's a mentor for the little athletes, for the younger athletes in grade eight. He's coaching already. Very proud of him. Very happy with his performance and his character. His parents are proud, of course. They left Nigeria for a better life in Canada when Divine was just a baby. Now, he's just a hop, skip, and a jump from representing Canada at major competitions. All the struggles it took to like, kind of like get to this point, like even just being young with like my parents, you know, immigrants and all that, it's not easy. So, I mean, it was, it's nice to be able to hopefully, you know, be on that big stage representing Canada. Great young man, and we'll hear a lot from him in the future. Okay, thanks, Barry. Well, still to come, one of the longtime headliners at the Italian Day on the Drive. Stay with us. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. As we told you earlier, thousands are returning to Commercial Drive today to celebrate Vancouver's Italian Day. 93-year-old musician Gianni Fulco is among those entertaining the crowds. As Jay Durant reports in This is BC, he's been a headline act for more than six decades. Gianni Fuoco has never missed an Italian day. He started performing at some of the early celebrations in the 60s. I played for so many years, and every year I played more and more. Americano, Americano, 
Music runs in the family. His dad and brother played guitar. His uncles played the mandolin. Gianni picked up both. There were a couple of years working for CN Rail when he first moved here from Italy in the late 50s. But after that, music became a full-time job. He formed his own band in 1961, booking regular gigs and doing a bit of touring. Tacoma, Seattle, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary. Gianni's passed his gift on to his kids. Son, my daughter, all the musicians too. Over the last six decades, he's performed at thousands of public and private events. You meet all types, all ages, and they say, do you know that your father played at my wedding back in 1969? Oh, he played at my wedding in 1971. Everyone knows Johnny. I mean, uh, he's everywhere. It's such a legacy. He's a, he's a pioneer in our community. And to still have him around, he's like a historical artifact that... Uh, you know, he's still here. It's great. Coming with a different story. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a story for every day. No. A seasoned performer who can entertain a crowd wherever he goes. Sunshine. But there's nothing like an Italian day homecoming. I feel, I feel like a million dollars. I feel good because the music, like I say, is your life. He's 93 and not even close to stepping off the stage just yet. Longer can I see you, longer can I have power in my finger, I do it. Since I got to keep me with the eyes open. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Bedtimes are probably not quiet around there. They serenade each other <laughs> to sleep. It's awesome. But of course. <laughs> um, yeah, anything else to say about the weather? Uh, hot tomorrow. Do keep that in mind, especially away from the water. And then potentially later on in the week, we could see some showers rolling in. All right. Thanks so much for being with us. See you at 11. Have a good night. Good night.